Good morning, folks. It's lovely to see you. And what a lovely time it has been just to sing those pieces together. Don't know about you, but it did my heart good. I really enjoyed it, so thank you so much. Um, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of James, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. But we're reading the, from verse 1 for context, and uh, we're going to really look at verse 9 to the end of verse 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice he doesn't say if you face trials, but whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking any in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And these are the verses we're going to look at, and at first reading they're quite puzzling. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And we pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Don't know about you, but sometimes when I come to passages like that, I'm a little bit confused. I think, what on earth does it mean? And of course, the best thing to do is to pray and to ask the Lord to help us, because he's very gracious. He really wants us to know what his heart is. And we're going to have a glimpse of his heart this morning through this. Now sometimes the Bible uses phrases which appear to be confused and sometimes even confusing. They are what we might call paradoxes. And I don't know if you know what a paradox is. There's a visual paradox. If you look at it carefully, it's actually an impossibility, isn't it? Yeah, you you couldn't actually make that. If you look at it carefully, you'll see that you couldn't make it. I'm not going to linger any further on that one. If you don't see it, then uh, you might see it later. But the Oxford Dictionary defines a paradox as a self-contradictory statement. A self-contradictory statement. And the scriptures contain many paradoxes telling us that the weak are strong. How could the weak be strong? That's what it tells us. The weak are strong. That the empty are full. That the slave is free. How can a slave be free? But that's what it says. That the cursed are blessed and that death brings life. And all of all these statements which first strike the ear as contradictory actually make sense to us when we really think about them. Now, a man called G.K. 
Chesterton said that uh, he explained what a paradox was. He said a paradox is a truth standing on its head shouting for attention. Isn't that great? A truth standing on its head shouting for attention. So a, a paradox is a very powerful vehicle for truth because it makes people think. And I think that's what James wanted his readers to do, to really think about what he was saying to them. You see, James knew that the people who were reading his letter were under some pressure. And he was wanting to really encourage them. There may be somebody here this morning who's under some kind of pressure. And maybe the Lord wants to encourage you. James's readers were going through all sorts of trials. Their lives were filled with challenges. But God was at work in their lives. And James urged them to pray for wisdom because God is generous to all who ask believing. And then James turns and he uses two paradoxes uh, to get his readers thinking. In verses uh, 9 and 10, the brother in humble circumstances, that's low down, ought to take pride in his high position. That doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't appear to anyway. The one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. So we have the first paradox. The brother in humble circumstances, kind of lowly circumstances, should take pride in his high position. What does it mean? And then it goes on. And the second one is the the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. It doesn't make sense to us, because we think the one who is rich has a high position, and the one who is poor has a low position. Isn't that right? That's the way we think. But James has turned it round about. You see, I believe that these words really helped James's persecuted and scattered brothers, who were out of step with the culture of today. Pretty much in the same way that we're out of step with the culture of today. Because the truth is, we're by and large ignored. We're not seen as important. We're not seen as anything special. Actually, we're probably seen as folks who are a bit odd. Isn't that right? But is that true? Of course it's not true. Of course it's not true. And sometimes if we suffer for our faith, we need to be reminded of what the truth actually is. So let's just think about the first paradox, the rich poor. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. So James is telling us that the low are actually high. And that is a strange statement, isn't it? The verse literally translated reads, the brother, the lowly, in his height. So we could translate it, the lowly brother ought to boast in his height. The low are high. So who are the low? Well, I think he was, he's referring to the poverty-stricken Jewish Christians who were poor partly because of their faith, who were looked down by, the, by society, who were taken advantage of. Because uh, they couldn't cheat like everybody else. I think that's who he was writing to. And I imagine that these folks were mentally battered into believing that they didn't really count in the grand scheme of things. Society looks at us and says, you don't matter. You're odd. You don't matter. You really don't. 
But we ought to take pride in our high position. Now we notice that James has used a word there that's significant. Significant. He, whoops, what have I done? I've gone the wrong way. He says, take pride in a high position. He says, the brother. So who is he writing to? He's writing to his brothers in the Lord. He's writing to Christians. Folks who are parts of God, who are part of God's family. Now, if, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're part of God's family. And what does the Bible say about those of us who are parts of God's family? Well, Paul writes and he says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? If you're a believer and you don't look particularly special this morning, you're actually a joint heir, a co-heir with Christ, an heir of God. You're going to inherit. That's pretty extraordinary. Uh, uh, That's what we are. Now listen to Peter's words. Because Peter goes on to say, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Hey, if you're a Christian, you're actually somebody pretty special. You're a chosen person. You're part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I think that's absolutely wonderful and significant. And when you and I grasp the reality of what is being said here, you won't feel small and insignificant anymore. came across a lovely story of a general who was at a very posh dinner somewhere. And the general was sitting beside a, a, a military chaplain. And he kind of looked at him. Probably, I don't know if he met... Um, I don't know anything about him, I don't know if he met military chaplains very often, but he said to him, he said, well, pastor, you can tell me a little bit about heaven. So, so we have an opportunity, well, please tell me a little bit about heaven. So the pastor looked at him, and he said, well, general, I want to tell you something. You won't be a general in heaven. And that's true. Because, just because we're important in society down here, that doesn't mean to say we'll be important up there. So who's important up there? Well, it is the Christians, the Christians, God's children. James is so sure that this, uh, of this great reversal, so sure that the low will become high, that he encourages the humble brother to take pride, literally to boast in his height. Well, why does this Great ex- when does this, why does this great exaltation come to the poor man? Well, do you remember the first words that Jesus spoke in his public ministry in Luke? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the, the poor. The poor. Because we matter to God. Do you remember the words of Mary um, when she spoke to Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1? She said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, because he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Luke goes on to quote the first beatitude in chapter 6, verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And the world looks at us and says, "Hmm, you're not actually wearing uh, the really expensive clothes that some people buy. You're just ordinary folks. But we're God's folks. 
that means that we're not ordinary. We're special because God has loved us. Matthew goes on to say that blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for they shall inherit the earth or the kingdom of God. Because we, we may be poor economically, and in the eyes of the world around us, um, poverty was related to kind of God's displeasure. But James didn't pity them. He didn't pity the poor. He rather saw them as the spiritual, spiritually advantaged. And here's wisdom for the Christians of every age who live in a world where sometimes a prosperity gospel is preached. You know, if you give to Jesus a hundred pounds, he's going to give you a thousand pounds back and the preacher gets richer and the congregation get poorer. That's what some folks preach. And in the world around, for those who have any kind of, even a a small regard for God, they kind of believe that uh, prosperity equates with God's blessing. And humble circumstances mean that God is somehow displeased with us. There are the lowly who are in the midst of hard times and they're tempted to doubt, but no Christian who has been oppressed either economically or socially or both has not at some time doubted. Have you sometimes doubted? Sometimes I feel like the psalmist who shouted out, God, do you even know what's happening? Are you awake? Because of the struggle that we go through. But a Spanish philosopher said, those who believe that they believe in God, but without passion in their hearts, without anguish in their minds, without uncertainty, without doubt, without an element of despair, even in their consolation, believe only in the God idea and not in God himself. It is possible for us to believe in the idea of God without actually believing in God himself. Well, we know, don't we, that a living faith has its ups and downs. Why? Because God hasn't finished working in us. He wants to make us like his son Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I think he's got an awful lot to do, doesn't he? And sometimes he works through difficulties. But just think about this wonderful verse in Psalm 18. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I want to tell you that on a good day my wife delights in me. Not so much on a bad day. And occasionally my kids, if you really back them into a corner, might say that they delight in me. But not very, my mother did, God bless her. But not very, mothers do that, don't they? But not... Very many folks would delight in me. But let me tell you that God delights in me. And let me tell you that God delights in you. That's why he's rescued you. So the world might look at you and say, hey, you don't amount to very much. But in God's eyes you do. In God's eyes you do. God has his hand on us. How wonderful that is. So we have the rich poor. And then we move on and we think about a the poor rich the poor rich the one who is rich should take pride in his low position that's uh, another strange um, statement isn't it it used to be I think in the was it the 80s or the 90s that we had the yuppies you know the young uh, 
upwardly per- progressive professionals. Well, I, I came across a prayer, a yuppie's prayer. Can I read it to you? It says, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my queasy art to sleep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That all the wine I sip is white. That my hot tub's watertight. That racquetball won't get too tough, that my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my cordless phone still works, that my career won't lose its perks. My microwave won't radiate, my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close, and that my money market grows. If I go broke before I wake, I pray my Volvo they won't take. <laughs> you know? A yuppie prayer. That's a, that's a bit of a gas one, isn't it, really? Well, we tend to think that the rich, uh, we think of them as being privileged, but actually they're underprivileged. And that's what Jesus taught. They're underprivileged. Isn't that the whole point of the rich young man who came to Jesus asking what he had to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus looked at him and, and loved him and said, you've got to keep all the cards. I've done all of that. And Jesus looked and he saw what was the most important thing in his life. And the most important thing was his wealth, wasn't it? So Jesus said, give it all away. Give it all away and come and follow me. But the man thought it was too much. Because he was holding on to his weight like huge big suitcases and carrying it around with him. And he wasn't prepared to let go. And... uh, Mark's gospel goes on to say, Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The way is narrow. And if you're carrying big suitcases, you can't get through holding on to them. Very many years ago, when I started a ministry in Northern Ireland, I used to lead a team doing door-to-door work. And we used to go around, and it was always interesting, when we went to the areas that were quite prosperous and affluent, they had absolutely no sense of need. But when we went to the areas where folks were struggling, they knew what it was to have a need and to be desperate. And actually, they tended to be the most generous of people, in my experience. And yet we live in a, in a country, don't we, where... Um, Folks are really affluent. Even the poorest among us is affluent. When you consider the poverty in the rest of the world, I've been in favelas in Brazil, I've been in slums in Calcutta. I've seen poverty in Nigeria and Eastern Europe. We don't really know what poverty is here. We are affluent. And it's very hard for folks who are rich to present themselves as humble beggars. Our rich culture is actually disadvantaged and underprivileged. And so many people in the UK have absolutely no sense of need whatsoever. (laughs) And generally folks find their identity in their wealth or possessions. And sadly, instead of possessing their possessions, they are soon possessed by their possessions. Oh, we don't hold things too tightly in case God has to pry our fingers open. And if we hold tightly... It can hurt if God pries our fingers open. Now I know that when you look around, people kind of put you in a pigeonhole depending on the size of the car that you drive or or, or how much you earn. God doesn't look at us like that. Our identity is tied up in who we are in Christ and not in what we do for a living or how much we have in the bank. 
We don't value people on the basis of what they possess. We value one another because we are each made in the image of God. The image of God is stamped upon us. And God has no favorites. He sees each one of us and he loves us just the same. I think that's wonderful. He looks down and he sees King David. He sees Paul, the apostle. And he sees me. (laughs) And he sees you. And he loves us all just the same. Isn't that wonderful? So God doesn't look down and think, oh, Moody's Burn. Where's Moody's Burn again? Uh, what are, the, who are those folks? Oh, oh, right, it's them. He doesn't do that. He looks down and he sees us and he loves us. Why? Because we are a royal priesthood. We're somebody. Because we're Christ's. We belong to God. He loves us, each one, just the same. Material wealth lures people to possess, uh, who possess to focus on, 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 on their possessions. And Jesus warned against the deceitfulness of wealth which strangles spiritual life. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment there was a newspaper in London and it offered a, a prize for the best definition of money and the winning entrant entrant uh, came up with a wonderful definition And they said, money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven. And as a universal provider of everything except happiness. Isn't that right? How right that is. And uh, Wesley said, um, I am a creature of a day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit coming from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. A few months hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. One thing he wanted to know, the way to heaven. James says the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower for the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business we have to get things into perspective don't focus on what you have cultivate a lowly spirit. For a Christian to build his life on perishable riches is surely an insult to Christ. When a wealthy person dies, sometimes the newspapers speculate about the will and ask the question, how much did he leave? And do you know what the answer always is? Everything. We leave everything behind. We don't take anything with us. At least, we don't take anything material with us. There are no pockets in a shroud. James goes on and he says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the plant. 
This blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Way back in 1982, I had the privilege of going to preach for a couple of months to Nigeria. And I learned firsthand about something called the Harmattan. I was in a place called Bauchi, which is about two-thirds of the way up Nigeria, a huge country. And uh, I can remember learning about the Harmattan. It's a hot wind that blows off the the Sahara Desert southward. And, and it brings very fine dust, and it looks just like a fog. It's most unpleasant. And when the sun rises... Uh, it's like a, a, a burning ball of fire and it scorches everything. The grass turns brown, the rivers dry up and the flowers die and the petals fall. As the original says in, in the Greek there, the beauty of its face is destroyed. And that's the way it is and will be for the rich. It doesn't take long for a flower to die. I used to go fly fishing in the west of Ireland. And we fished what was known as the mayfly. And the mayfly would hatch, but it would only live for one day. Just one day. And I don't know what's happened to my years. I seem to remember blinking when I was 20 and I wake up and I'm 68 and I I don't know what's happened. And nobody told me that it would go so quickly. But those of you who are my age, you're nodding because you know that life goes quickly. It doesn't last. We don't have long, really. The years pass away so quickly. There's a website which you might like to check out. It's called The Death Clock. And it's interesting. You go, I have done it every, every, you've seen it on the internet. You go to The Death Clock and it asks you your, your, your age, your sex, your height, your weight. Asks you a little bit about your family history. Did your folks have heart conditions? And, and it goes through a whole series of questions. And then it tells you you've got so many more days to live. <laughs> and as you sit and watch this thing, you watch it count down. It's quite an experience. But actually it's a really good thing. Because it reminds us that we don't live forever here. And who would want to live forever here? This is a dreadful place. This isn't our home. We're going somewhere else. And this might be a a, a place where folks look down on us. But let me again just remind you of what John Wesley said. I'm a creature of a day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit coming from God and returning to God. Just hovering over the great gulf. A few months hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing. The way to heaven. And we know the way to heaven, don't we? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And oh yes, the world might look on us and say, you you don't add up to very much. But though we may be poor in the eyes of the world, we are big in the eyes of God. Isn't that right? Because that's what Paul or James was writing to the folks. And it actually doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. 
And the last verse of the reading is wonderful. He goes on to talk about eternal rewards. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is a beatitude. When we persevere, we mature. And yes, we are involved in a warfare, and yes, it can be hard. And I guess each one of us could stand up and say today of the battering that we've taken in life. And the things that have hurt us. But let me ask you, has God ever turned his back on you? No. Has he ever withdrawn his hand from you? No. Will he ever withdraw his hand from you? No, he won't. There is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God. Now God wants to grow us and change us so that we mature and become more like him. And we are involved in in warfare and that can be hard but you know the whole message of James to, his, to these people were to stick with it to keep going the war has been won it's just the mopping up operation that's going on at the moment and he says most beautifully that when we persevere when we stand the test we receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him I don't know if you know, but there are five crowns in the New Testament. It's wonderful to think that you and I might get a crown. Now James has spoken of faith and endurance and tribulation, but now he introduces love. To whom is God going to give the crown of life? He's going to give it to those who love him. The actual translation literally is to those loving him. There is here the quality of continuity. It's not those who love the Lord at one time, but those who love him to the very end of their lives under all circumstances. We know that God is good, though often he puzzles us by what he does. But when we're able to keep going and saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you because I know enough about your character to know that I can trust you. Well, when we're like that, we're heading for a crown. We mustn't ever be like the young man who spent an entire evening telling uh, his young lady how much he loved her. And he said that he couldn't live without her, that he'd go to the ends of the earth for her. Yes, he'd go through fire for her. He would die for her. But when he was leaving, he said, I'll see you tomorrow night if it doesn't rain. (laughs) And how often we say we love God and yet deny him by our actions Christ will give his crown of life only to those who love him in deed and in truth there's a wonderful hymn that I want to just finish by referring to I don't know if you ever imagined what it's going to be like to stand before the beam of the judgment seat of Christ and to look into his face I don't know how it's going to work because there's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of us but I think we're all going to be close to him and we're going to be able to look into his face and I just wonder about the compassion in his eyes and I I suspect there'll be just little laughter lines there as well what will it be to be given a crown the hymn loved with everlasting love says in the fourth verse finish then thy new creations pure and spotless let us be Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, 
till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. And I want to tell you that I think that the only thing that we shall have to give him when we get to glory will be the crown that he gives us. And what will it be in that day, that moment, to take the crown that he gives us, gives us and to lay it at his feet to say, Lord, we love you and we're so grateful for sticking with us and for never letting us go. So this week when the world looks at you and says, hmm, you don't amount to very much. You don't drive an enormously big Rolls Royce. Or you don't live in a palace. You're just ordinary. You're not even particularly good looking. What does it matter? We're alive in him. And though we are poor in material terms, though in truth we're not, in Christ we are rich. Rich beyond explaining. Isn't that wonderful? I think when James's readers read this epistle and looked at those two paradoxes and began to understand them, I think their hearts were thrilled. And I think ours ought to. But life is difficult. I want to finish with just a little verse, two verses from Isaiah 59. And Isaiah is writing about the condition in his day. He says, So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. That describes our day. And he goes on to say, Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. Whoever shuns evil becomes bullseye on the dartboard. So if you're going to stand for Jesus and talk to your neighbours at the turning of the lights on next year though I hope you don't leave it till next year if you're going to talk to them and ask them to come to the carol service and the other Christian the Christmas activities not everybody's going to say oh thank you so much for asking me some might tell you to get lost but that's okay they said that to Jesus too didn't they be encouraged Father, we're so grateful that you've given us your precious word. And we thank you that its relevance continually amazes us. And if there are folks this morning and they feel that society has marginalized them, doesn't really take notice of them, we thank you, O oh Lord, that you do. Because in Christ we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus, and you are our Father. And you love us in a way that is beyond our understanding. We can't measure the dimensions of your love. We can't explain it. But oh, we bless you that we can experience it. And we thank you that today... We are able to ask you, would you come alongside and encourage us? Just remind us of these truths, not just today, but right through the week, Lord. That every day we would keep going, persevering, because we love you, Lord. We ask these things in the precious, beautiful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.